Good morning. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Patriot Radio News Hour. The number is 800-951-0592, allamericangold.com. Economics and history with attitude. Legal, lawful, constitutional tender. Stuff that wasn't produced yesterday. It's not ink and paper. It's the real deal. This is your substitute teacher, Glenn Biddle, in again for Double J. He's still not feeling well, and he also is sending off his oldest son to college to play football. And I tell you what, I've got an apple coming out of that same barrel real soon. My daughter takes off to Austria this semester to study business at the Vienna University of Economics and Business. And she goes to the University of Maryland right now. She's going to do study abroad, and hopefully she will get a great dose of Austrian economics. You know, they can't go wrong with the Austrian School of Economics. Okay, today is National Vice President Day, and this is very important because we're going to be talking about the atomic bomb today, and President Truman had to take over for FDR when he died suddenly. And, you know, as vice president, sometimes you're out of the loop on things, and when Truman comes into power, you can imagine when he got briefed on the Manhattan Project, which was the atomic bomb, and he had to make you know, a critical decision that I'm sure weighed very heavily on him. Now, there's two official jobs that the vice president has to do. This comes out of Article 2, Section 1, and also the 25th Amendment that was later passed. The first is that you take over upon the death, resignation, or inability to discharge the powers and duties of the office. And the second thing is under the 25th Amendment is you determine presidential disability. And if you've ever seen the movie Air Force One, the vice president and the cabinet had to kind of figure out if, if the president was under duress up there in that airplane when it was uh, hijacked and his family was kidnapped. So that's where we are today. Now, there's some very interesting quotes about the uh, office of the vice president. One was, the position was not worth a warm kettle of spit. That, that's not so great. Um, there was a chandelier that was brought into the Oval Office, presented to the president, and had a lot of uh, jewels and, and you know, different types of things that made a lot of noise on the chandelier when it moved around. And the president said, look, put, it, put that thing down in the vice president's office. He needs something to keep him awake. And then the other quote is, a woman had two sons. One went off to sea and was never heard again, heard from again, and then the other one was the vice president. So the vice president, you know, you're, you're literally one heartbeat or breath away from, from uh, taking over, and, you know, that's quite an important position. But, you know, sometimes when the vice president is picked, it's to balance the ticket, maybe to get votes from another side of the country that, that the one president, the presidential candidate might not get, or what the president's not strong in, maybe the vice president is strong in that area. Uh, our current vice president, Mike Pence, he seems to me, you know, stand-up guy, very straight and narrow, pretty establishment kind of guy. So he kind of, you know, is the counter to Donald Trump, who, you know, is just all over the place. And, you know, that's why he was elected to do that. And the vice, you know, Vice President Pence is there maybe to be the adult supervision if something happens. Uh, so that's where we are with that. So that that's interesting. Uh, you know, yesterday, uh, you know, we, we do a national day every day. Um, Yesterday was National Dollar Day, uh, and I was thinking about this after the show. There's a lot of countries that are not, not that were not support the National Dollar Day. They're trying to get rid of our dollar, trying to dump it. You know, the case in fact is the the petro yuan, the uh, the, the Chinese oil contract. That's definitely not. Uh, they're not part of the dollar anymore. Venezuela is trying to go to crypto to to avoid our dollar. We've put sanctions on Iran that they can't use our dollar now for their transactions. So we, we need people to use our dollar, um, and we've you know gone to to some great lengths to make people use our dollar. I know that uh, in Libya, Gaddafi 
wanted to have a gold dinar, and you can see what happened to him. He got taken out of out of power. Uh, so we so we definitely want people to use our ink and paper. Do, they call it dollar hedging me hedging me. That's a hard word to say, uh, but we want to keep that dollar in power as much as we can. Okay, um, so that's important. Uh, today we're really going to get into the atomic bomb. It's going to be great. I want to start off though. Uh, we we talk about academia, and Joe talked about that uh, New York Times editorial person that's there for the tech editor, and how her her hateful tweets. There's a couple of things that I picked up on yesterday. Uh, there was a student out in Lodi, California, who was suspended uh, for wearing a NRA t-shirt. And this was uh, this was kind of interesting because this kid, the, the mother was very upset. It was a young lady, and it was a history teacher targeted students wearing t-shirts advertising the National Rifle Association. The mother said she was basically being attacked in class, said Mother Charlene Craig. Two sophomores were wearing the NRA shirts when they say they were singled out in class by their teacher who started schooling them or why guns are bad, that guns kill people, said Craig, the mother. It's a lesson Craig says is a way of way out of line. I think he's there to teach, but I don't think he's there to discuss his personal beliefs, and I totally agree with that. It happened during a history class on Friday. He basically yelled at her, telling her that she would be writing an essay if she disagreed with him. And Craig says her 15-year-old daughter was lectured while another student was sent to the principal's office for refusing to take off the NRA T-shirt that supports lifestyles they've grown up with as families and hunters and farmers. And that's what she is. That's what she does, said Mother Craig. The shirt had an NRA logo on the front, and on the back there were pictures of shell casings outlined in an American flag, red, white, and blue. Below that reads the words National Rifle Association. What's missing from the shirt is a picture of a gun and exactly why Craig says the students should have been left alone. Now, the dress code, there's a picture here on on this that shows that, that anything that's offensive or promotes violence should be um, not allowed in school. But apparently, the uh, the shirt did not violate the dress code. According to a statement from the Lodi Uniform or Unified School District, the school administration reviewed the T-shirt in question and determined that it did not violate school dress code policy. And Craig says she realizes it's a sensitive topic but says students shouldn't be punished for their political or personal beliefs of their teachers. I totally agree with that. I'm going to continue to send my daughter to school in it, and I don't see that there's a problem. Lodi Unified also says they plan to refresh staff about the dress code policies so the incident doesn't happen again. Well, let's hope so. We'll be back on the other side. We're going to discuss the atomic bomb. What this country is coming to, I sure would like to know. If they don't do something by and by, rich will live and the poor will die. Doggone, I mean the panic is on. All right, we're coming back into the panic is on. That's a great song from the Great Depression. If you ever get a chance, go to YouTube, search for that, check it out. The whole song is excellent. Okay, so um, getting back to uh, the markets real quick, uh, nothing's really jumping out too terribly much, but except the Hong Kong market, up 248 points. The Shanghai is up about 50 uh, Dow Jones is down 30. The Nikkei is down 45. The Nasdaq's up 21. We're look, taking a look at uh, commodities. Oil is down nine cents, 67.03. Gold is 
up 10 cents at 12.21.10, and silver is at 15.45 and pretty much unchanged. So we're going to run the specials today, the same ones we had yesterday. I know a lot of you took advantage of those. That's awesome. Uh, we have the $5 Liberties at $340 each. That's great fractional material, great thing to have. Uh, and we have the rolls of silver buffalo rounds at $340 a roll. So 800-951-0592. Call on in. Take advantage of that. I know a ton of people bought yesterday and like to continue that on. That would be great. Take advantage. The, the prices are up just a hair today, so the price stays the same. So that, that's good on your side. So that, that's good. Okay. Now, we sell a lot of metals here at, at Precious Metals here at Patriot Trading Group. You know, we, you get gold, silver. On occasion, we have palladium, we have platinum, we have rhodium when Joe can find it and get a good deal on it. Now, two metals that we're going to talk about today are uranium and plutonium. Now, we don't sell those, but the only person I, that I know of who has sold uranium lately is Hillary Rodham Clinton. She sold 20% of our uranium production to the Russians, yet she's still not in an orange jumpsuit. She's still walking around breathing the same air you and I are breathing, and that, that's, well, that is what it is. You know, I, yeah, I went there, but there we go. Now, so we're talking about the atomic bomb today. And the reason we're talking about it today, you know, we'll get to this day in history, but today is August 9th. Today is the day we dropped the bomb on Nagasaki. On August 6th, we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima. And that was the uh, Phyllis Schlafly segment the other day. Um, and she, she was spot on on what she talked about. It, it certainly had ended the war. It allowed our boys to come home and raise families and, and be successful. It, it, it saved a lot of Japanese lives, really, too, if you think about it, because their whole country was mobilized to fight us. If we had had to attack, they were looking at a million U.S. casualties, and that was on the low end if we had to invade, and, and that, that's you know, unthinkable uh, of that kind of a loss. Okay, but there's also another side to the bombing of Japan, and it's kind of not covered a lot. Um, I mean, and I was when I was doing research for this today, I didn't know what the name of the airplane was that dropped the bomb on Nagasaki. I certainly know the Enola Gay was the plane that dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, Colonel Paul Tibbetts, just didn't know that about, about Nagasaki. So, uh, so some of the things are lost to history. Now, there are also some, some pretty cold, calculated events that, that happen because of this that, you know, in, in time of war, you have to do what you have to do. And unfortunately, dropping the atomic bomb was one of the things that, as we look at history, obviously we can Monday morning quarterback it all day long, and, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But at the time, President Truman had to make that decision. He was the guy in charge. He had to make that call. And that I can't imagine being in that position because there were all kind of people that were trying to approach him. You know, some were saying, you know, why don't you just show it as a demonstration? Bring the Japanese here and show them what this can do. Some of the scientists were, were calling for that. And then the Secretary of State was like, nope, we're going to use it because there's going to be a, a post-war world that, we, that we're going to be in control of, and we want to be at a position of strength with atomic weapons to enforce that rule that the America will have. So there were a lot of forces that were, you know, pushing on President Truman and what he was going to do. Okay. So we were actually firebombing a lot of Japanese cities at the time, and we were, you know, those are pretty ruthless because when you're, when you're bombing Japanese cities, paper and wood, the houses that were made out of, you had horrendous fires, and those fires, like I said yesterday, the wildfires, they make their own wind, and they were catastrophic. We were killing almost as many people firebombing cities in Japan as the atomic bomb initially would, would destroy. And there, there was a, a very interesting quote. Uh, Once you accept, accept the strategic terror bombing, 
why not be more efficient? Instead of using 500 bombs, use one bomb. That was one of the scientists that, that, that talked about that. Now, we're going to play a few clips today from ABC News documentary. It's from The Century, and it's called The Race. And I, I covered this before when I went over the Depression. This is a very, very good documentary. Peter Jennings narrates it, and ABC News did a very good job on this. Uh, and so, and I've read all the alternative histories about dropping the bomb and uh, the hand wringing that, that people have today about Truman, the people that tried to put him on trial as a war criminal. You know, I, I get all that. I, I've read it. It's interesting. But at, Truman was the man on the ground that time that had to make that decision. Okay. Now, what if the American people knew that we had this bomb and we spent all this money, it was like $2 billion in 1945 dollars on it, yet we chose not to use it and we lost a million men invading? And when people found out about that, they would have, they would have gone crazy. They would have called for the impeachment of the president, maybe criminal charges uh, against him on that. And can you imagine the thought process that Truman had to go through on this decision? Ramon, can you play clip one, please? In the stifling desert heat, they began the painstaking final assembly of the world's first atomic device. Oppenheimer supervised the work personally. The sphere had an opening uh, plugged, sort of like a plugged watermelon. It had an opening all the way down, and uh, you would work down through that hole to put the active material in the center. Packed neatly at the center of the thousands of pounds of high explosives was the small plutonium core. But in addition to the precision-made components, the first bomb was put together with cardboard, tissue paper, and household masking tape. Two days before the test, on July the 14th, the assembled bomb was hoisted slowly into the steel tower. Army mattresses were put underneath, just in case the winch broke. In all, 32 separate detonators would have to be wired to the explosives once it was in the tower. Each detonator was set to fire within millions of a second. Ultimately, I and two young men from my group were the ones to climb the tower and, and wire up the detonators, connect, put them in place on the bomb. And it was a little bit scary being up there with all that high explosive because an electrical storm came up too. I mean, rain and lightning and that sort of thing. So for many hours, we were just hanging around there, very, very tense and so on. It was a long, long night. The senior staff placed bets on how powerful the bomb would be. Edward Teller put in his dollar and guessed it would be equivalent to 45,000 tons of TNT. Hans Beta guessed 8,000 tons. Enrico Fermi was taking side bets on the possibility that the bomb would incinerate the state of New Mexico or even ignite the atmosphere and destroy the world. General Groves was not amused. Now, can you imagine these scientists that are taking these bets on, on the total output of the bomb uh, that it could possibly ignite the atmosphere? I mean, these are very smart people. They kind of, they knew I'd say within 95% of what this bomb could do. But there's always that outlier, well, what if we've calculated wrong? Because no one's ever done this before. So now we're going to move on to the test. Ramon, can you play clip two, please? On the day of the test, July the 16th, President Truman was taken on a tour of Berlin. He wrote in his diary, Never have I seen a more sorrowful sight. I hope for some sort of peace but I fear that the machines 
are ahead of morals by some centuries. In New Mexico, all the observers had been given dark welder's glass to shield their eyes. They lay flat in the dirt of shallow trenches to protect them from the blast. At 5.29 a.m., five miles from ground zero, cameras inside heavy bunkers were rolling. Martin Deutsch. I was very, very shaken. If uh, someone says, we say, my God, that's what we've been doing. And then it was such a beautiful thing. That was the other thing. It was really beautiful. And uh, that was another thing that left me very puzzled. Hans Bethe. First, I thought, we have done our job. And second, I thought, what a terrible thing have we created. This really can destroy the world. Robert Oppenheimer. Now, what Robert Oppenheimer said was he quoted from the Bhagavad Gita, which was an Indian scripture. He said, now I have become death, the destroyer of worlds. So, I mean, he he was pretty uh, intellectual about this, and but and also very spiritual about it. You know, they were, well, we've done our job, and this is what it'll do. You know, and that the scientists were, were also very practical people. You know, they, they had a moral side to them, and, and some of them wanted to show that morality and, and just let's, let's show them an example, the Japanese, what this can do. We don't have to use this bomb. General Groves, though, had done his job. He was in charge of the Manhattan Project, and he turned that bomb now over to the political authorities, and it was their decision where they were going to drop it. So can you play clip three, please, Ramon? The first bomb was called Little Boy. Early evening, we were just called and said, uh, we're going to go tomorrow. And we went in for a briefing and just sat there, sort of wide-eyed, listening to the uh, operations officer saying what we were going to do. I remember one thing he said, now, if you have problems, we have submarines here, here, and here to pick you up. Harold Agnew, then 24, and two other scientists flew in an escort bomber on the Hiroshima mission. The bomb was on board the Enola Gay, flown by Colonel Paul Tibbets. On August the 6th at 2.45 in the morning, three B-29s took off from Tinian and headed for Hiroshima. It was only three weeks since the first atomic bomb had been tested in New Mexico. In the port city of Hiroshima, population 300,000, it was a warm, clear morning. A few people noticed the three silver planes that appeared overhead at 8.15 in the morning, but no one took cover. Now, the, the actual um, video clip we have up on the website on allamericangold.com, and I really encourage you to go watch that whole program. We're going to play the fourth clip after the mid-break because I don't want to, this to cover into the uh, into the break. But I'm just going to talk a little bit about the the first bombing of Nagasaki, or excuse me, Hiroshima. Eighty thousand people died instantly in Hiroshima 
Japan on August 6, 1945, when the first ever atomic bomb was used in war. The code name for the uranium-based bomb was called Little Boy, and this was a gun-type bomb. This was a, a long bomb, and the bomb actually detonated about 2,000 feet above the city to maximize damage to blast down onto the city. And only 2% of the fizzle material inside of that bomb actually detonated. Uh, so you can imagine if all 100% of that uranium had blown up at one time, it would have caused even more destruction. Uh, what you get with a nuclear bomb is you get three things. You get heat, blast, and radiation. And you also get a shock wave that goes out from the center, and then it, and it just knocks everything down, you know, probably five, ten miles out. And then that shock wave comes back in, and then it sucks up into the top, and that's what forms that mushroom cloud. And that mushroom cloud uh, probably went up, you know, 20,000, 30,000 feet in the air. When they dropped the bomb, they had to make a hard turn. They had to get out of the way because the blast, the shock wave, hit the airplane as well. So they had to move on out of the way. Uh, now, General Groves took four cities off the target list. This is something you don't hear a lot about. Uh, they wanted unbombed targets so they could actually take a look at the bomb damage assessment. What did the city look like before we bombed it, and what did it look like after we bombed it? They wanted to see the actual destruction that took place of that city. And that's pretty cold and calculating the type of event there. I mean, but that's how this worked. I mean, the scientists, when they got the information back, when they saw pictures of what had actually happened, they were shocked. They had calculated everything out. They knew what would happen. But until you actually see the pictures, it's absolutely devastating. Now, we will come back on the other side of the break with more atom bombs. We'll, we'll talk about the aftermath, and we'll talk about current nuclear policy, mutual assured destruction. We'll see you on the flip side. Halftime on a Thursday. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. You'd be hard put to find an entity more unlikable and easy to poke fun at in 2018 than Mark Zuckerberg and the well-known liberal political machine that is Facebook. From well-documented cases of throttling conservative page viewership to total Democrat support and donors at the executive levels... It comes as no surprise that Facebook does not like conservatism. A recent story of Facebook censorship illustrates this well. The managing editor of the Liberty County Vindicator in Liberty, Texas, noticed that Facebook's automatic filtering program had removed a post containing part of the U.S. Declaration of Independence. The newspaper had been uploading the declaration in sections on July 4th when they noticed one was missing. The politically correct Facebook algorithm apparently flagged a line complaining about King George's, quote, domestic insurrections among us to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers the merciless Indian savages, end quote. Well, of course, to the Facebook bots, this 18th century language constituted hate speech. This was an automatic action, and Facebook has apologized to the paper. But it reveals the not-so-automatic programming of a very progressive political agenda in the social media giant. Thankfully, conservatives are rising up to challenge them. In fact, you have a great opportunity to meet two of the big players in this battle next month in St. Louis. Phyllis Schlafly's Eagle Council, now in its 47th year, meets every September. This September 14, 15, and 16 in St. Louis, Missouri, you can attend a conservative training event that will be packed with nationally known speakers and experts, helpful workshops, and national networking opportunities with other activists. 
Two of our speakers this year will devote much time to the topic of social media. One is investigative journalist James O'Keefe, who is focused on bringing down the anti-First Amendment liberal behemoths of social media. Jim Hoft is another well-known name, the operator of the Gateway Pundit news site. Jim is currently in a heated battle with Facebook over blatant throttling of his work. To hear from these two conservative giants, you can register today at www.phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Political correctness is no longer simply about restricting speech. This tool for tyranny has led to employees being fired, pastors silenced, small businesses closed, and truth suppressed. Thankfully, the politically correct can't censor the work at phyllisschlafly.com. Join us, won't you, at phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Coming back into some great music. I was actually working out to that at the gym this morning. Always gets me five extra push-ups. So we're talking about the atomic bomb. Now, I just want to kind of give you some context of how what I'm going over today, I am actually go over in my eighth grade U.S. history class. I've taught this to ninth grade world history classes. I've taught it to my 11th grade government classes. Um, I, at, my cla- at my school, uh, we... You know, during the day, at the end of the day, we have a focus period. It's about 40 minutes, and all the teachers can teach whatever they want. We, we target kids that need extra help in math and English at this time. So the kids that don't need that, they, they pick a class that they want to go to. My class is a 20th century history class, and I focus on World War I, the Great Depression, and World War II. And this is the last three days of my class. It's a nine-week class, and it's the atomic bomb. And you know, we literally we end on a bang, and, and the, it, the kids... It really affects them when they when they when they hear this because they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know anything about this. And when they get to high school in ninth grade, they're going to be getting this 20th century history basically, and they're so far ahead of the game when they get there. So I just wanted to kind of give you some context on that. And also, I do encourage you to go to a website, allamericangold.com, and check out the documentary, the century, the race about, and it's, it's excellent, excellent um, material, just incredible. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the uh, the aftermath of the bombing and the uh, and the uh, Nagasaki bombing. Okay, so Ramon, can you play clip four, please? Aftermath. I was at Los Alamos when the news came of Hiroshima. I think we all uh, were happy because we thought this would end the war. Then a few days later, we uh, got the photograph. It was so much worse than I had expected. We had calculated how far buildings would be destroyed, but it was so much worse to actually see it. Of course, uh, there was a lot of... uh enthusiasm, a lot of feeling that, uh, you know, we've uh, succeeded, we're making a real impact, uh, efforts are not for naught, but there are a lot of misgivings, of course, at that time when you find out what you've, what you've really done. 
I had no particular reaction. It did, it did, it did what it had been, what it was supposed to do, and and I hoped the Japanese would give up immediately. One was enough. I was not happy with uh, with uh, Nagasaki. I thought that was unnecessary. The second bomb was called Fat Man. In Hiroshima, 75,000 people had been killed instantly. In the next five years, 125,000 others would die as a result of the bomb. The bomb on Nagasaki killed another 100,000. All right, and that's that's pretty much the end of the uh, the video. There, it actually it goes on to talk. It shows the actual uh, testing of when buildings are knocked down, and you could that one scientist said, "Well, we certainly were making an impact." Well, absolutely, you were making an impact. You just flattened a whole city, no doubt about that. Okay, and they, these scientists, you know, that some of they're so scientific, they're so matter of fact, but some of them also were also had very were very moral in what they were doing and like you know i i was okay with the first one but no not the second one you know i wanted them to end and you know and one of the other interesting things about this is the ship that took the two bombs to tinian the uss indianapolis after it left tinian it was sunk three days later by a japanese submarine can you imagine how history would have been completely changed had the japanese sunk the indianapolis before it got to tinian with the atomic bomb on board i mean that that would have been uh, game. I, I don't know that we could have produced another bomb that that quick to to have the effect that we would have to invade. It would, it's unbelievable. Um, so uh, I have the a CNN article here. It's actually pretty good. It's, it's the atomic bomb by the numbers. Uh, it's just, let's just go through it. Number two, number of atomic bombs dropped on Japan during the war: eighty thousand people who died instantly in Hiroshima, Japan, on August 6, nineteen forty-five, when the first ever atomic bomb was used in war. The code name for the uranium-based bomb was Little Boy. 192,000 total number of those killed in Hiroshima, combining those killed instantly and those killed from radiation and other aftermath. The revised total was released at a ceremony on the 50th anniversary of the bombing. Three, the number of days between the first and second atomic bombs dropped on Japan. On August 9, 1945, an implosion model plutonium bomb named Fat Man was detonated over Nagasaki. More than 70,000, the number of people killed instantly in Nagasaki by the bomb. Five, the number of days after the bombing of Nagasaki that Emperor Hirohito announced Japan's accepting for the terms of the Potsdam Declaration and its unconditional surrender bringing the end to World War II. Two, the number of possible targets for the second bombing, Nagasaki and Kokura. Nagasaki was chosen because of the weather. Like I said, there were four targets that were taken off the target list that were never bombed. Two billion, the approximate number of costs of research and development of the atomic bomb by the United States called the Manhattan Project. 130,000, the number of people employed by the Manhattan Project. Three, research facilities involved in the development of the bombs, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, Tennessee, the Hanford Site, Washington, Los Alamos National Laboratory, New Mexico. In fact, at Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee, that was the largest building in the world at that time. They had the, uh, I guess, the the uh, uranium um, machines in there that, that purified the uranium for the bomb. Seventeen, number of physicists who worked on the Manhattan Project who already were or would later become Nobel laureates in physics. 18,000 tons of TNT equaled the blast from the New Mexico test run on July 16, 1945. Uh, 9,700 pounds weight of the little boy atomic bomb. 
And then 60,000 feet, the height of the mushroom cloud following the detonation of Fat Man over Nagasaki. Uh, now, there's been some actually very good movies that have come out and very interesting movies that have come out after this that kind of address the morality of using the bomb. One is Dr. Strangelove. Have you ever seen that? It's, it's an incredible movie. Um, I used to show that in my AP government class at the end of the year after they'd taken their test. The Atomic Cafe is an absolute amazing uh, collection of, uh, basically, I guess it's, it's how to survive the bomb. We thought we could survive the bomb in the 50s with all of our civil defense. Uh, there's another one in the 80s called At Dawn's Early Light, where you have pilots questioning whether they should go forward and drop the bomb. And then uh, CBS series Jericho, where bombs went off in the United States. Now, I live in a terrible location if there's ever a nuclear attack. I live on the East Coast of the United States, on the eastern shore of Maryland. D.C. is to the west of me, Philadelphia is to the north, Dover Air Force Base is to the east, and Norfolk, Virginia is to the south of me. I, I have no escape route if there's ever a serious nuclear exchange between us and Russia or China. Now, I've, I was reading today that China is preparing, and Russia also have these hypersonic missiles that I don't think we can defend against. And the, the Russian bombs are the biggest in, in the world. They have hydrogen bombs that can just take out the megatonnage on them is, is astronomical. The Basically, the nuclear bomb that was used in World War II was a firecracker compared to what we have today. And believe it or not, the first Russian atomic bomb was actually designed in Los Alamos, New Mexico, because spies took that information and gave it to the Russians. All right, we'll come back in the next segment. We'll wrap up the atomic bomb, and we'll get into some uh, current news, and we'll see you after the break. Welcome back to Patriot Radio News Hour, 800-951-0592, allamericangold.com. I do, I do, I do encourage you, please take a look at that documentary, The Race About the Atomic Bomb. It's, it's incredible, uh, very good. The music in it is, is really good, um, the background music. Uh, once again, ABC News documentary, Peter Jennings, uh, great, great it's an amazing uh, series. The whole series is good. The, the one on the rise of Hitler, I talked, uh, is amazing. The one that I played for you when Joe was on vacation about the Great Depression, that was also amazing. So definitely worth your while to take a look at that. Okay, just to recap our special today, $5 Liberties at $340 each, and then rolls of Silver Buffalo Rounds at $340 a roll. You can't go wrong with that. I'm a silver stacker. I love stacking silver rounds. It's a great buy. Uh, when I called in yesterday after the show, I had I was on hold for 10 minutes because Arlene was swamped with orders. Swamp her again today. She needs something to do in there because Joe's not in there. So get those phones ringing off the hook. Take advantage of these. The higher prices today don't affect you because we're running the price the same as it was yesterday. So that that is great for you. And remember, when you call in and say, I want the special, how many, you figure it out, address, get good funds. We ship it to you, safe, secure shipping. And it's all good. You can't go wrong with us. All right, let's cover some This Day in History today. This is always great stuff. In 480 B.C., the Persian army defeats Leonidas, Leonidas at the, and his Spartan army at the Battle of Thermopylae. Have you ever seen the movie 300? That's basically what it's talking about. In 1483, Pope Sixtus IV celebrates the first Mass in the Sistine Chapel, which is named in his honor. And if you want to go back and look at a really great old movie, 
the agony and the ecstasy about Michelangelo painting the Sistine Chapel and Charlton Heston plays Michelangelo. That is a great movie. I mean, it is horribly acted by today's standards, but if you want to just enjoy a movie, that's a great one. Okay, it's also very historical, so it's also pretty good. In 1814, Andrew Jackson and the Creek Indians signed the Treaty of Fort Jackson, giving the whites 23 million acres of Creek territory. Jason, that one's for you because I know you're an Andrew Jackson fan like I am. Uh, in 1859, the escalator is patented. However, the first working escalator appeared in 1900, manufactured by the Otis Elevator Company for the Paris Exposition. It was later installed in a Philadelphia office building the following year. Okay, the, In 1910, the first complete self-contained electric washing machine is patented. Uh, in 1930, first appearance of the animated character Betty Boop or Betty Bop, Dizzy Dishes. In 1936, Jesse Owens wins four gold medals in track and field at the Berlin Olympics. Uh, in 1944, we talked about this yesterday, the fictional character Smokey Bear, only you can print forest fires, created by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. In 1945, the B-29 bomber boxcar drops the second atomic bomb on Nagasaki, Japan. We just talked about that. I did not know the name of the airplane. Obviously, I knew the name of the Enola Gay, but I didn't know this one. Uh, let's see. Ramon, this one's for you from our quotable quote session a couple weeks ago. Charles Manson's followers kill actress Sharon Tate and her three guests in her Beverly Hills home. You got all the mass murderer quotes right in that uh, little contest we did a couple weeks ago. In 1974, Gerald Ford is sworn in as President of the United States after the resignation of President Richard Nixon. Uh, 1975, the first NFL game in Louisiana Superdome. Houston Oilers defeat the New Orleans Saints 13-7. to And let's see. In 1999, Russian President Boris Yeltsin fires his prime minister and for the fourth time fires the entire cabinet. I, I remember when that happened. I remember Yeltsin at one point was up on a tank and he was celebrated by his men. So uh, what a weird time that was. That was, uh, you know, the, the, the later we had the peace dividend from that. So interesting times. Now I wanted to go, there was another example of crazy academia of of kids getting jammed up over the Second Amendment, and this one kind of kicks close to home for me because my son's a lacrosse player, and he's looking at colleges right now, and this is from the NRA ILA page. College lacrosse coach discriminates against a pro-Second Amendment player, and there was a a uh, Instagram post here. A college lacrosse player at Florida University was told by his coach in June that he had to choose between the team or posting his hunting and firearm pictures online. You want to play lacrosse for Palm Beach Atlantic University, you won't post pics of your guns and stuff. That's simple. You want to continue to post this, you don't play, the coach texted the student on June 27th. The pictures depicted law-abiding, non-threatening behavior. In one example, the student is smiling after a successful duck hunt. In another example, he's holding a holstered firearm. The student responded to his coach saying he did nothing wrong, and if he had to choose between lacrosse and his constitutional freedoms, he chooses freedom. The university responded formally to the student's complaint and said that the student's picture did not violate any school policy and they had spoken to the coach about the issue. And then this is the NRA's point here. This is yet another example of anti-gun authority figures feeling emboldened to attack a student for his pro-Second Amendment beliefs. The men and women of the NRA are sick of hearing stories like this, and I, I'm, I'm in the NRA, and daggone right, I'm sick of hearing about this, because this could have easily been my son because he's a duck hunter, he's a target shooter. Just last week we went out and took a bunch of his college buddies and beach buddies out shooting on the range last Thursday to be exactly, a week a week ago. And I many pictures were taken. I'm sure they went up on their Instagram pages. And it's, it's time that we need some common sense in, in America. I, I just don't get it. 
I, I'm, I'm tired of it. And you should be too. Uh, Joe talked about this last week. I remember we talked about it last Friday of how people are being shadow banned and how people are being taken off social media for their beliefs. Uh, people can't even go in to get a cup of coffee or breakfast anymore without people yelling at them or screaming at them. There's no civility anymore. I, I, I don't know where we are with this. I, I don't know what it's going to take to stop this. And, and I hope it doesn't go too far because that would be tragic. Right now it's just name calling. And I know out in Portland they had some violence and obviously Charlottesville, that, that was terrible. But it, it seems that we just can't go out and speak our mind anymore without everybody just getting all upset and, and wanting to go toe-to-toe or fisticuffs anymore. It's, it's, it's crazy. A lot of friends and family have defriended each other on social media platforms. They, they can't talk to each other anymore. I, I don't get it. And, and the, the whole – I teach debating in my classes, especially in my government class, and I tell the students, I'm like, look, you need to understand your opponent's argument better than he does because he's going to try to give you points and you're trying to give counterpoints. And understand his argument better than your own. Because ultimately what happens is when you run out of things to say, it always goes to the gutter, it goes to name-calling, you know, your mom enters into it, or, or you're, a ra- you're a racist, you're a, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist. And, that, and I guarantee you, a lot of these people that are throwing the word fascist and Nazi around do not understand the meaning of it. Okay, There was an incident in my state uh, yesterday uh, of a, a gubernatorial candidate who dropped the F-bomb. And that's the level of stability we're at. All right, last segment coming up. We're going to talk about Colorado and an upcoming event there. We'll see you on the flip side. Okay, final segment on a Thursday. The weekend's almost here. Tomorrow, I'm super excited. It's going to be Fake News Friday. Now, today was National Vice President Day for for myself and, and Mrs. Professor Biddle. She's, a, she's an English teacher. Uh, Tomorrow's going to be National We're Going to the Beach Day. So I will be calling in the Fake News Friday segment from the beach. I, I did that last week. And uh, I, I only have so many days in the summer to go to the beach, and tomorrow's going to be one of them. And, and we have to adjust all sorts of schedules. My, my one daughter that's going to Austria, she can go tomorrow. So it's just one of those, all the planets are aligned that we're going to hit the beach tomorrow. Uh, a Colorado update, there's three ways you can stream the uh, the show now. One is the shoutcast.com, and you Search for American Freedom Network. Another one is Radio Onomy, and that you also search for American Freedom Network. And then the TuneIn app, you can get that app, and you can also search for American Freedom Network. I really encourage you to listen to the Colorado show. They are doing some great programs up there, and they have a huge event coming up on August 18th with Grandpa's Gun and Fawn, one of their major advertisers. And that's going to be a really cool show on a weekend. There'll be call-in available there. Uh, tomorrow's Fake News Friday. Joe's going to be back with his cutting-edge analysis of what's going on in, in the world. And, you know, you can't go wrong with Joe. He he digs in deep. He's a chart guy, a numbers guy. When you get me, you get history. And I hope you've enjoyed today's uh, atomic bomb topic. It's very topical. It's on point as far as what today's date is. Um, I love talking about it. I have a passion for it. I, I encourage you to go watch that video on our website, allamericangold.com. It's well worth the 40 minutes you put into it. Um, last night I was watching Gunny Time on the, on the History Channel, or the Military Channel, and they were talking about the M3 grease gun, and this was the iconic uh, machine gun, 45 caliber machine gun that was used in World War II, and actually was used up until the 80s. I remember shooting one at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And what I did not know, and this is a great, because we deal in precious metals, the, the tube of the grease gun 
is big enough that you could the GIs put a silver dollar in the back of it and it compressed the operating spring, which gave them a faster rate of fire in their grease gun. And, and me being a gun guy, I'm like, oh, I got to get a grease gun now, and I'm putting a silver dollar in it. So that's just cost me a lot of money because if I have to get a class three gun, you know, full auto, that's very expensive. And it takes a year to get one because you have to jump through a lot of hoops to the federal government. You have to pay a $200 tax stamp to buy a gun like that. But uh, that that's I think that's my next project. Uh, and only to put a dollar, a silver dollar inside of a gun. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. It probably doesn't. Now, if you've enjoyed the last couple of days of what I've done, please give Joe an email. Let him know. Double J at allamericangold.com. Even if you didn't like it, let him know. Either way, doesn't matter. Okay, I have thick skin. I can take it, but I do incur- I do like your feedback on on what we're how we're doing here. Uh, it's great that Joe can have it take a day off, and uh, if you like me sitting in. I'm glad to do it. Now, I can only do that during the summertime. Uh, I can definitely do the Colorado show every day because that's late in the afternoon. But uh, if if I know that Joe's going to need a day off, I might take a day off from work and, and, uh, and call in and do the show because it's very enjoyable. Remember, our special today, the $5 Liberties at $340 and the Silver Rounds, the Buffaloes, at $340 a roll. You can't go wrong with that, that fractional material. Uh, Joe's back tomorrow, Fake News Friday. I'm, now, if you want to get a leg up on the Fake News Friday, if you want to take a look at the stories, scour the Drudge Report. That's where I go to take a look and see how you do against this. Remember, you can yell your answer at the radio tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow, Fake News Friday, National. I'm going to the Peach Day tomorrow. Enjoy the heat out there in Arizona. My humidity is much higher. Talk to you tomorrow from the beach.